edition of the OTP, unfortunately. My name is Mike Keith. Amy Wells is here. We say unfortunately, Amy, not because we're unhappy to be joining the OT people. We're just saddened that we don't have a game to talk about this week. Yes, it is disappointing that we are not talking about the game of all games. However, I'm pretty darn happy with how everything went. So no complaints on this side of the table, Mike Keith. All right. So Amy Wells is here. She's on her way to Orlando to the Pro Bowl where the Titans will have four, four different players taking part. And she will have reports and interesting things going on from Orlando. You're leaving? This afternoon. This afternoon. Yep. Dave McGinnis is here. He's not going to the Pro Bowl, I don't think. Mike Keith, no, I'll let Amy and Ashley and handle all that. They'll do a great job with it. But uh, Pro Bowl is – I still don't know what to make of Pro Bowl in Orlando. I know, you know now that you've been to Hawaii, you wish it was in Hawaii. Yes, I would much rather it be in Hawaii. However, it's a shorter flight, which I appreciate, to get to Orlando. And I like the Mickey Mouse factor. I like the proximity <laughs> to Disney World. Coach Mack likes the Mickey Mouse factor, too, because they're changing the rules of the Pro Bowl. They sure are. And speaking, they are. And speaking of Pro Bowl – uh, Jim Wyatt is on his way to Orlando and then on his way from there to Miami. So he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. Sitting in, Titans Radio's Rhett Bryan. Welcome to the OTP. Glad to be back. This All right. is good. So I'm going to jump in with this right away and feel free to chime in wherever you wish. Okay. We are not a formal group, Rhett. Okay. All right. So at the Pro Bowl, last year, no kickoffs. Put the ball down at the 25. And Boop. I like that. You did. I like that. Man, a lot. you ba- you flip flop. No, I like. You've that given lot. me the business about it because you know I I'm for the rule change. This year there will be no kickoffs at the Pro Bowl, but if you want to have an onside kick, no onside kick. It's the Greg Schiano rule. Fourth and fifteen. Make it, take it. And he proposed that years ago and got laughed at. And then the AAF did it, and it has gained some traction, particularly because I went back through the statistics on onside kicks over the last two years. Mm -hmm. There have been 114 attempted, 12 successful. And the majority of those were surprise onside kicks later in this past 2019 season. For a while, there had only been one successful one throughout the course of the year, but just an 11% success rate. Even by changing the alignment of the players, it is still an incredibly dangerous play, the onside kick. And so they're going to take a look at that. Do you think the kickoff is closer to being gone in the game of football? Dave McGinnis and then Rhett Bryant. I don't think the kickoff is, is close to being gone. I think the onside kick is edging towards this way. Because, you know, they spread it out. And the, you, you only have certain numbers on each side now. Right. And, and your numbers, you know, just verify what's going on. At least you would have a chance with this 4th and 15. At least. I don't, think, I don't think they'll take the kickoff out of the game yet, though. I don't think they will either. But the, the onside kick, I would agree, Coach Mack. I think that's kind of waning away. Uh, because How many successful onside kicks are there now anyway? Well, he just said 12 you know, in two I years. Mean, so there you go. And most of them are of the surprise variety. So um, 
Yeah, it'll be a fourth and 15 rather than an onside kick. If you fail, obviously the other team gets the ball at that spot. If you make it, you keep the football. What do you think, Amy Wells? I think that's awesome. I am 100% all in on this. And I'm not going as far as Mike Keith, who wants to abolish all things kickoff related. I do. He does. However, I love that that play, the onside kick, fourth and 15, that moment can become an actual plausible moment now. It's actually something you have to prepare for and you have to, you have a chance of getting. Onside kicks never work. I don't think I've ever seen one work in real life. We haven't had one work here since the Arizona game in 2013. Rhett will remember this. Ryan Fitzpatrick rallied us from 17 down to send the game into overtime, and then he threw a horrible interception in overtime. Shocking. Just, oh, so bad. Wow. He played a great game. He threw for over 400 yards. But in typical Fitz magic form, he had a moment in overtime. That's another story, though. But that's the last time the Titans have successfully had an onside kick. Ryan Suckup in his career is one of 23 on onside kicks. See, that's why when you say this fourth and 15, there's an element of a chance to do it. Mm-hmm. And you also take a risk because if you don't get it, if they get the ball right there, well, then that I like that. You know I what think else? it's great. And you take out – I mean, it, it is a very – even when it's five on a side now, it's still dangerous. Mm-hmm. I wonder – and, and I go back to the thing. I, I think the whole touchback thing is boring, which is why I want the kickoff done. And I want the game sped up. I, I just think it's, a, I think it's a better thing. I think you're either doing what the XFL does where you make it where they have to return the kickoff or you get rid of it. I don't want to see touchbacks. I have no interest in, in watching some guy put his arms out sideways like he's bringing a plane into the, you know, <laughs> into the hangar or whatever it is. I have no interest in that. That is not a football play. Either do what the XFL is doing and make it to where you have to return them, which, of course, flies in the face of the safety thing that the, that the league has put forward, which is why they moved up the kickoff line anyway. Absolutely it was. I, I'm saying just – just be if, if you're saying safety's an issue, don't give me a touchback. Give me the time wasted on all that putting the ball at the 25. Mm. Um, I still want the kickoff. Mm, I understand same. that, but I, I want the kickoff too. I don't want the touchback. I don't want 70% touchbacks. It's how boring. Much t- how much time do you think you could shave off of a game in the whole kill the ratings era that we're in? Five to ten minutes. I mean, easy. Easy. Wouldn't you think? Easy. I do know this. I'm sorry, Amy. No, go ahead. Go. My thing, I love the, I like getting rid of it except for at the beginning of every half. Is that stupid? No. I like the pageantry of kicking off the football. Well, it's like the tip off. off. Of course, we, I mean, yeah. we used to have jump balls in basketball every 30 seconds, seemingly, until they did away with it except for the start at the game. And at the start of overtime. Yeah, like that's what I want. I want the moment of kicking the ball but off. But you don't see anybody out there going, it. man, I wish we had more jump balls. I mean, that, <laughs> they, people have gotten over it. So he, why don't we just start each half with a kickoff? Can we do that? I think that's nice. Yeah, if, if it's a kickoff. Again, I want to see a guy run back the kick. I'm not against right. running back the kick. I will say this. He doesn't want to touch back. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't want to see... Ten guys go running down for no reason and ten guys standing there acting like they're going to block them for no reason because Harrison Butker is going to kick the ball 80 yards. Justin Tucker is going to kick the ball 80 yards. 
it's it's boring. I will say this. I was you know I was at quite a few of those games down in Birmingham right. and other places with this alliance, and uh, and when they first started, you know, Chris Mortensen's son coached for the alliance. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I would sit with him during the games up in his box. And, and when it first started, we both were going, I wonder how this is going to be no kickoffs. Because clearly, I mean, we've both been in the league a long time. Look sure. at I kind of liked it once they started just setting it down there because of the time factor. Well, that's it. And we would look, we would look at each other at halftime and go, this went fast. The flow of it is better. Mm-hmm. I will agree with that. I mean, the flow of it, you get used to it pretty quick, the flow of it. The other thing, too, is I wonder – now, the the onside kick thing, I think, is to add more excitement, changing an onside kick out for a fourth and 15 play. Uh, see, I like that. I do, mm-hmm. I do, too. I like that. I do, too. And I do think it, it ties into the safety issue because you're taking that dangerous play away, which is a good thing. I wonder if some of this talk doesn't start because of the 17th game in the new CBA. If they don't find ways to improve safety, to keep talking about the improved safety as the players combat the discussion about the 17th game not being safe, if that's a point where they kind of blend it together, Red. Well, and to your point, when you're talking about 10 guys running down there for nothing, mileage, fresh legs, wear and tear, the whole thing comes into play with that. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's where that becomes a bargaining chip in a new CBA if a 17th game is on the table. Well, they're going to be able to say to the players as they finish this off, and it sounds like the CBA talks are going well, don't know where the 17th game thing is, looks like the preseason's going to be shortened, looks like we may expand the playoffs, talk that the 17th game may be a neutral site game, which is good for the expansion of the league, I think most people think but the improved safety numbers are something that I think they're going to continue to try to sell and clearly the league has made it obvious in what they're doing that that is top of mind to them it's not just lip service they have done things and there has been progress absolutely I agree with that 100% I think the league is going to have to pick a lane a little bit because they're starting to get to the point where making sure that the game is exciting and engaging mm-hmm. and that fans want to be a part of it and making sure that the game is super safe and doing mm-hmm. everything they're kind the lines are starting to get really close together and there's two that? kind of parallel things well i mean we talk about how the 4th and 15 thing is it a safer play yes is it more exciting we hope but there's some point where you have to almost sacrifice like the touchbacks. You have to sacrifice the excitement for the safety right. or the safety for the excitement. So the league at some point is going to have to, I don't want to say pick a lane because I think you can do both, but I think that the margin of what you're going to have to cost from one to the other is starting to get a little bit smaller. I think she makes a great point. Well, she makes a great point, but let's not forget one thing, and then this is true, and, and we've all been doing this a long time, and, and you've got to say it, but this is still a violent game. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And and people enjoy that because there is a there's an element of danger in this game that is makes it compelling, it really does. I mean, I'm just I'm saying now sure. safety and is is a whole different thing. They've done a lot to improve it. I mean, I can go way back to when I first started, and there was a lot of things that we did that weren't safe that were part of the game mm-hmm. that were part of strategy. Also, I think the length of the games is is critical. 
I think if they're going to make 17 games, the length of the game is going to be critical. You know, I, we all watched the national championship game, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that was a four-hour game. Yes, that was a four-hour game, and that the the game was compelling, but you could you could feel it watching it like wow, this is taking a long time. And if you got 17 games, I think shortening the games will help a little bit. Even just the the accumulation effect of five or seven or eight minutes a game over a 17-game season, which would be an 18- or 19-week season, would make a difference. One other thing, too, uh, at this year's Pro Bowl, officials, and I'm reading from an ESPN story. Is that what I have? Yeah, ESPN story, Kevin Seifert. Pro Bowl officials will be instructed to use a different standard for false start penalties on receivers who are flexed at the line of scrimmage. It will not be a false start if a receiver flinches or lifts one foot off the ground, provided he resets for one second and or keeps one foot on the ground. Well, you know what that's for. No, that's for the Pro Bowl, so it's not, uh, you know, because I've coached in, in Pro Bowls before. The attention span of the players in a Pro Bowl practice and the attention span of players in a Pro Bowl game? Zero. <laughs> so. okay. Mac, have I told you about the Pro Bowl that I was at a couple years ago? It was still an evening game. It's like 10 o'clock at night. All the players just start dancing to the music that they're playing in the stadium. We were delayed for like 20 minutes because they couldn't get players to stop dancing Red and reset. I, I love was, a good dance. Yeah, he loves a yeah. good dance routine. Which is, it's like, it's which like is little so kids good. playing t-ball, mm-hmm. and he's out there you but, know, but for the Pro picking Bowl, the grass in the, the outfield, Bowl, waiting for the ball to fine. come by. Yeah. To yeah. me, that's fine. And so that rule is to – I mean, if you're – they're not going to call – they never call a Pro Bowl tight. They haven't in all the 34 years I've been around Pro Bowls. They're not, they're not going to call it tight. That's just to say – Wouldn't it be awesome if they did, if they started calling <laughs> everything in the Pro those guys would revolt. They would just leave. They'd walk out. They would just leave. Or they That's would the dance That's the 21st accepted hours. penalty in this game. <laughs> I, I, 21st <laughs> accepted penalty in the first half. We got time for a quick Pro Bowl story? Of course. Yeah. 1988, you know, I coaching the Pro Bowl, and you know my linebacker crew, Mike Singletary, Sam Mills, uh, Michael Kofer, uh, Lawrence Taylor. Stop Kofer. Yeah, yeah, stop. He played, when he played at Tennessee, there was another Mike Kofer on the team, if you can believe that. He was from Chambly, Georgia. <laughs> He played tight end, and so when when Mike Kofer made a tackle, they would refer to him as Mike Stop Kofer. And when Mike Kofer on offense caught a pass, it was Mike Go Kofer. That's great. That's, that's another funny. story. No, sorry. That's a great story. No, not sorry. That's a great addition to it. But anyway, at the time, the winning team got fifteen thousand dollars, which was a lot of money back then in nineteen eighty eight, and the losing team got five grand. All right, so there was a difference. And especially if you brought a big entourage over there, there's a big difference as far as to what you could pay for with fifteen grand and five grand. And so I had a you know, I had a rotation of the players going in, you know, to the game and it, it was Michael Kofer's chance to go in is in the fourth quarter and the game was, was tight. And I said, Michael, it's your turn and Lawrence Taylor started to run in and I I said, L T no, it's his turn. He turned and looked at me and said, You want you need ten grand? I need this ten grand for all these people I got out here. You want to win this game? I said LT, you go in. Michael, you right here. <laughs> so they were playing then. You know, Don't argue it was, with Lawrence Taylor. No, now it's a little different. Yes. <laughs> what was Lawrence Taylor like in practice? Just look. First of all, <laughs> Mike Ditka was the head coach. Okay. And so Mike Ditka's first speech to the team was, and we were playing. We, Buffalo was the AFC team. Was coaching the AFC team. Marvel Lee was coaching the AFC team. He said, "Okay, I don't care what they're doing with Buffalo. Here's what we're doing." You guys have got a choice. You can either 
sleep in, and then we'll practice in the middle of the day, and then you can do what you want, or we can all get up early, come meet, practice, and then do whatever you want the rest of the day. He said, I want to play golf. He said, and I know most of you do, so what do we vote for? Every hand shot up. Early practice. Early practice. So we would get up. I mean, we'd be gone and back coming to practice when uh, Marv Levy's team was just leaving the hotel to go practice. So, yeah, we won. Advantage in it. Yeah, we won. won. (laughs) All right. So let's talk Titans now. Titans end their season in the AFC Championship game. Rhett, Brian, going to start with you. What's the most important thing? that you believe the Titans accomplished with their run to the AFC Championship game? I believe in a fundamental, basic level, the culture is established. Um, The thing I was amazed at in these last several weeks of the regular season and going into the postseason was their ability to fully believe in one another's uh, abilities on the field, practice, prep, play together at a high level, no distractions, not too high, not too low, focused, dialed in. And I think that started with Mike Vrabel at the top. But the way that he has that culture set now, that success that they had will breed future success. I think the Titans established credibility this season in a lot of different ways. They started the season with good to great, which is kind of a risk when you're basically saying our goal is to improve in some way. Um And they definitely did that, even though for a minute it kind of looked like that was going to backfire. This team really rallied, and I think Mike Vrabel established credibility with his team that if you trust the process, this is going to work out. I think that the Titans players established credibility within the league that they are real NFL football players who can actually make an impact in this league. And I think the organization as a whole established credibility within their fan base, both in Nashville and then wider. Um, that this is a team that really is trying and this isn't a team that's going to let you down and this is a place that you can kind of get excited about and be fired up about again. I just got a message from Jim Rice in the ticket office this morning and they are having an unbelievable January in terms of season tickets like they haven't seen in years and years and years. And I don't know that it's like it was in January 2000 after the Music City Miracle. That would be hard to match. But they feel like it's their best January in terms of modern within the, you know, with as long as this group's been there. And hopefully the fan base will continue to get those season tickets because I think the number one goal for next year, period, and Vrabel touched on it indirectly yesterday, this team needs to go 8-0 at home. Mm-hmm. This team went 4-4 four and four at home this year. Okay? Not great. Well, if you're 6-2, if you're and two, you're division champions. If you're seven and one, then you're in a position that you're probably the number two seed. You know, so you're getting a buy. If you're if you're eight and zero, you're definitely the number two seed. You're getting a buy, and you only have to go on the road for the AFC Championship game. I, I mean, and that starts with the fan base. That starts with making that play, with forcing out opposing fans. Because I know some people are going to sell their tickets. I mean, I, I get it. I'm not trying to tell people what to do. But this team had to prove it to people by winning games in New England and Baltimore to really prove to them we can play at this level 
And I think fewer and fewer people are going to sell their tickets because I think the people who are jumping in right now are definitely not going to sell their tickets right? because they have Titan fever for the first time since 2008. Well, I mean, everybody's hit on I think we all have, are of the same mindset, which, I mean, and, and, and we're all right. Look, organizations that have success in the National Football League, they're able to establish an identity that – that not only in your building that you understand, but all your counterparts in the league understand. And that that's what this run did. This was a magical twelve week run. It really was. And it it, it it put you know, it put the Titans, Amy Adams Strunk, John Robinson, Mike Vrabel, and what this organization was about, and for the fan base. It put it out there to the rest of the league. What is going on here is for real. And then the only thing that really validates anything in the National Football League is winning games. Bing. You yep. win games, and that's that's the validation. But to be able to go on that run, and it was a historic run. It was a historic run to get into the playoffs after a 2-4 and four start. If, if we would have made it to the Super Bowl, it would have been the only team ever, 2-4, and four, to, to start like that because normally that's a death knell. That, but I think this, this sent notice about what is going on here as an organization – as I said, from Amy Adams Strunk all the way through the through the, the top leadership, and then to the players and to the fans, that this fan base was energized to a point of that I remember. Mm-hmm. I remember the Titans. I mean, you know, to steal a phrase, uh, when I was coaching here. I mean that that the the all of the we were on the road, and so everybody we were all on the road together. And the way they came together on the road, is, it was amazing. It was absolutely fabulous. It really was. And it's it wasn't built on anything that was false. It was built on because you had a tough, gritty team that was winning that games was winning against games. all odds. Well, and that's what it comes down to. I mean, Rhett, you've been here for the entire time like I have. You grew up here like I did. Yep. You you get it that when you go two and fourteen and 3 and 13 it i mean you can hand out millions of dollars to people at the gate you know you and and they would complain at that point because you gave it to them in 20s mm-hmm. it, when you but when you're winning everything you do is right and you can build on those things you can take all the things you've been working on when you were 2 and 14 and 3 and 13 and 9 and 7 and you can build on those things all at once it's like you become brilliant all at once because yeah. of winning. Winning. It takes care of 98% of things. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you should talk about that, too, because we all went through that 5 and 27 two years. Ooh. And it was rough, no doubt. And it's the one thing, it's really strange because the night they won at Baltimore, I had a very candid conversation with Taylor Lewan, And he said, you know what, all I keep thinking about is two and fourteen my rookie year and three and thirteen my second year, and how we just done everything we can to try to get to this place, and I, I think it just makes it that much sweeter, which was surprising to me because he wasn't joking and you know cutting up like he normally is. He was seriously contemplating where this thing has been, where it's going, and how good it felt. Do you want to wear a Titan shirt at two and fourteen? Do you do you want to be out there and say that's who I'm for? That of course, I mean, people did. They hung in there. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of hardcore right. fans did. Bless their and, hearts. And every we one of love them. every one of them yep. for it. But the reality is, this the credibility. When you went to New England and won, 
there was a switch that was flipped right then, and then you followed it up with a Baltimore win. Titans fans believed they were going to beat Kansas City. Yeah. They truly, they weren't hoping, they weren't wishing, they weren't dreaming. Suddenly, they had confidence in their team again. And to see all these kids and the churches and the businesses and and everybody wearing their Titans stuff on Friday, that's what it was like 20 years ago. That's what it was like in 2008. And it comes from the football team producing on the field and producing that credibility. And I think that was the amazing part about this run in the last few weeks. And Coach Mack, you touched on it. It was like the old days. I mean, businesses with their marquees and their signs, uh, with letters they had to put up by hand manually up there, tighten up, go Titans, whatever. Uh, the whole message, it was everywhere. And it, you're right, churches, schools, businesses. The me- And, of course, with social media now, that was something that wasn't a big deal back then. Sure. Everyone sending greetings and their, their well wishes. And Friday, casual Friday at a business office was wearing your Titans jersey or right. your garb, your gear. Uh, that was super exciting. I know, I know in your conversation that you had with Amy Adams Strunk last week when you went to Houston, that was something that made a lasting impression on her. And I, it, I thought about it, too. I was like, everywhere you go. Because she hadn't really seen that. No. Because she was no. not involved with the team before 2015 outside of just being a fan, really. She mm-hmm. was certainly part of the family, and, and but she didn't have that sort of involvement. Fully so invested. It was so great to see her so excited, like one of those young fans who they were experiencing it for the first time. It was great. It was a great thing. All right, Coach Mack, let's talk football. Okay. Dean Pease announces his retirement. Defensive coordinator steps down. Does Mike Vrabel have to hire a defensive coordinator with a similar philosophy to Dean Pease to keep the defense from taking a step backward in 2020? Well, let, let's look. Dean Pease's philosophy was Mike Vrabel's philosophy. Those two philosophies, they were blended. That's why he was the first person he called when he got this job. He had a vision. He knew what he wanted his defense to be like when he was a head coach. It was the defense that he had played in. It's the defense that he was familiar with. And now they blended. And so he he's going to be very deliberate in what he does here. Now, he doesn't have to do it exactly the same way, but it's going to still have a huge piece of this because we, we talk about all this success. A lot of this success is because of, of the consistency that went on with the message and also with what we were doing, with what we were doing defensively. That had a lot to do with his keep making Arthur Smith the offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. He wanted some continuity and consistency, and, and I've been around coaching changes. I've been a head coach. I've changed, you know, but you don't – you look at the players that you have coming back. What you really want to do is, is there's always things you want to be new with, but you still want to have a base. That's why this team was so successful this year. They had a concrete base that they worked from every day in practice. They had a concrete base that they worked from every day in the meeting rooms. So he will be very deliberate about this, and he's going to go through an intensive interview process with whoever he brings in. And it doesn't have to be an exact huge branch of the Dean Pease, Mike Vrabel tree, but it'll be part of it. All right, well, let me ask you this then. So, Rhett and Amy, help me here. I mean, we're seeing all the big names who are being mentioned, the Wade Phillips and Rex Romeo Ryan Cornell. and Romeo Cornell right. and all of these guys. Don't zero in on one of those dudes. Just just tell me from a general standpoint, 
would one of those kind of guys work philosophically, or does it have to be somebody who directly ties to Vrabel? It wouldn't have to be somebody that's directly tied to him. It would not have to be. But – and then I go back to the extensive interview process. I've interviewed coaches, you know, mm-hmm. for, and so when you sit down in this process, it's not, you know, say, all right, you're going to play, you're going to play your corners, uh, you know, seven yards off every time. Fine. All right, we'll go to the next. That's not what you do. You you sit down and you dig into daily philosophies about how you you know how you're going to meet how you're going to present look we've all been to practice you you watch the progressive teaching that they go through there's a lot of things that he will want to be sure he checks off of the boxes to check off before he turns and Mike Vrabel's always going to be involved in this defense always know that so it doesn't have to be somebody exact but it's going to be somebody that is going to blend and fit what his vision is because he's got a very clear vision of what he he had a clear vision when he got the job of what he wants his defense to be and he's got a very clear vision what he wants it to continue to be so if one of those older coaches could share that vision you could hire one of those older coaches absolutely okay i think coach mack made a good point right there at the end that as long as mike vrabel is here there's going to be a thread of consistency throughout this defense because Vrabel is so involved in the defense. He can't turn off his defensive brain. Right. I don't think he wants to. I mean, he's still running around with the linebackers right. and everybody else out there. He's such a big part of that side of the ball specifically that there will be a lot of consistency just because he will still have such a big hand in it. Will some things look a little bit different? Absolutely. Do you want someone that has established credibility that Dean Pease walked in with so that nothing really shook him? Sure. But I think that the level of consistency will probably be maintained just because Mike Vrabel's still there. You make a good point, but you know something about Vrabel that has impressed me is Vrabel's not a hardhead. Vrabel doesn't think he knows everything about everything. It would seem to me, and and chime in on this too, Coach. I'm going to ask Rhett first. But it would seem to me if there's somebody who Vrabel listens to and goes, well, that would be interesting incorporating that into what we're doing. It would seem like that would almost be appealing to him. Yeah. Agreed? Uh, absolutely. Yes. I, in, in what little dealings I've had with Coach Vrabel, he seems certainly open-minded to things uh, of those nature. Um, and going off of – what we were talking about with an, an older, experienced defensive coordinator. He's got some talent in this building that he could promote with from within, just like he did with Arthur Smith. Your guy, Tyrone McKenzie. Well, sure, he's got he's got a lot of avenues he can go at. But but to Mike's point, Mike Vrabel, Vrabel is very, very open-minded. Mm-hmm. He's very open-minded, and he's also very cutting-edge. And so with that – you have to be – he'll be. that's why I say when I started – I said the first adjective I used to describe this process is deliberate. Sure. And part of that deliberation is mining ideas from everybody that he meets with. Interesting. Now, I think it's, it's going to be fascinating to see where he goes. The most obvious candidate would have been Kerry Combs mm-hmm. had he stayed, but he had obviously already committed to go back to Ohio State. That was had been reported, what, weeks ago? Oh, yeah. It, I mean, a long time back ago. Back before the playoffs, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, when Halfley got Boston College's head coaching job, Combs was mentioned. He's from Ohio. He's an Ohio State guy. He's coached in that state for an ever, ever and ever. I, I respect Vrabel for not holding him up on no, that. No, absolutely. And that, and that makes – and let me just talk about – 
from the aspect of being a longtime assistant coach before I became higher up in the coaching profession, that makes it this place attractive to assistant coaches that want to come here because they, some head coaches won't let you go. And that, that's a problem. You know, that's an issue. And, and, and they're, they're rightfully so if you've got a contract. They don't have to let you go. They, they really don't. And so when you know there's a place that you're going to grow, but also if that growth is recognized and you have a chance for career advancement, that you're not going to be held back because of a technicality. And also because the head coach is so comfortable in his own skin mm-hmm. that that's what makes it really good. So let me ask you this. You've got a secondary opening. Yes. Kerry Combs not getting talked about what a loss that is. That's a heck of a ball coach right there. Ohio State has made a great hire in Kerry Combs, and I think the four of us all have tremendous respect for him. Does the new defensive coordinator bring a secondary coach with him? Well, it, this, again. Potentially? I go back to deliberation. <laughs> I mean, there, <laughs> this this all plays into it as to what it is, and that's why he's not going to be – Mike Vrabel is not going to be ready, fire, aim on these two hires. He's not going to be. This is going to be a deliberate, deliberate process. That's good talk right there. Coach Mack, this is why we have an NFL. All going right. Yeah. All right, Rhett Bryan, favorite moment from the 2019 Titans season. Okay. Now, this is where Amy's going to bag on me because I'm in Jim White's chair. He normally gives multiple answers. Oh, he and gives I have like six m- answers. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've got multiple answers yeah. in a couple of these things. That's why he did so bad so, on the ACT. Yeah. Because he tried to he tried to list six answers. How'd you so, do on the ACT, Rhett? Le- <laughs> <laughs> hey, now. Just yeah. wondering. <laughs> Let's just Sorry. keep moving. Uh, so I'm living vicariously in this chair for, uh, for Jim White. Uh, I have one regular season and one postseason. The regular season moment for me was the first Kansas City game, November 10th. That's when I realized with Ryan Tannehill and where Derrick Henry was going, this offensive line was gelling finally, that they could hang with just about anybody if they needed to. The uh, The defense was doing its thing, and I just the way that thing ended with Joshua Kalou and that blocked field goal, I mean, that was fantastic. One of the better regular season games you'll see at Nissan Stadium. I'll never forget that one. That was really neat. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, Patrick Mahomes wasn't back from the knee dislocation. Yeah, he only he, threw for 446. But yeah, I'm saying he, he didn't fine, run whatever. for 800 yards either, you no. know. But uh, it, it was and it was a chance for us to see him up close. That dude's Michael Jordan, Steph Curry on grass, whatever NBA player great you want to plug into that there. And then my other one was the postseason and it would come to, as no surprise to you knowing me as long as you have Foxborough and the win over the Patriots, uh, as much as I love the Patriots. You do like them. I you absolutely love the Patriots. Way. But, no, that, <laughs> that was – well. That's what's so impressive. Golly, what a moment that was. I mean, we were all in that booth. You were down on the, the sidelines, Amy, and when you saw that pick six – from Logan Ryan. I didn't even watch the rest of the play because I didn't see any flags, and I just put my head in my hands, and I'm like, I cannot believe they have taken these guys to task. They have put them away. This is – they're going home, and the Titans are moving forward. I'll never forget that one because you and I have been up there for, you, for several trips that were not successful, and this one was. That would be correct, yes. They've all not been successful. Yep. We actually went to – uh, the old place. It yeah. used to be called Sullivan Stadium. Sullivan Stadium. And blew a game up there in 1998 to Pete Carroll that yes. we had won. Um, 
Sullivan State. That was a horrible trip. But those were two of my favorites from the 2019 season. All right, sure. Amy, you get to go second. Well, Rhett and I had a mind meld thing because I picked both of those, but specifically in that New England game, Mike Vrabel Belichicking Bill Belichick, what mm-hmm. might be my favorite thing that has happened in 2020 so far. It was so great. It brought me so much joy to see Bill Belichick coming fully unhinged on TV, and there was nothing he could do about it. He couldn't do anything. (laughs) I just thought it was so great. It showed how smart our coach is. It showed it it was savage. It was great. I loved every second of it. It made me so happy. Baltimore win. Nobody anywhere in the football world or if anybody that knew how to spell football thought that we could do that. And I was here in 2008 as a coach when they 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 stole that thing from us here, which is it's still a huge heartbreak for me and for all Titan all Titans fans. But that game because they were the it team, mm-hmm. they were the it team, and people were saying, well, you know, New England. And there was talk before we played New England. They're not quite the New England of old. They're not this and that. And the, but that Baltimore win, that was a huge exorcism for me to erase everything that was ever bad in my heart for Baltimore because of what happened in 2008 and the stunned silence in that stadium when we did what we did that I'll never forget it I'll never forget it and the other thing that was so cool about it because of where we broadcast from people can come up and touch you they can reach <laughs> it's their, like a high school they, press a, box they yeah, can come that up way. and reach their hands in and touch you and to have Titans fans come up after that game, so happy. Christian Caposi, one of the you know one of the all time great interns ever, and and you know his dad and granddad have been fans for yep. a thousand years. Come all the way up there, and just the joy to see those people running up the steps just to high five us in the booth from the stands. Never forget it. That was huge. And Amy to see those fans for the first three quarters call the three of us everything but a cedar bush <laughs> and then at the end hey uh, good luck in the playoff <laughs> nice to see you and it's like wow what a moment <laughs> we'll never forget it pretty it, great it was an exorcism no doubt most improved titan of 2019 i'm cheating just a little bit i picked the offensive line as a whole <laughs> yeah i did i, I did wanted do a guy that. well sorry you're getting a you're getting five you're welcome. Um, Sorry. But really, think about it. Think about how dramatically different the offensive line has been from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. They are supposed to move as one. I count them as one. The offensive line. They are dramatically improved, Mike. Every single one of them got better. Every single one of them has played better yeah. from the beginning see, of I, the year to the end of the year. I see the disappointment in your eyes. Yeah, I, I don't got a lot care. of disappointment because... I stick by what I chose. Well... 100%. Four of those dudes are really getting paid. Okay. They, you know, but how bad were they well, at the beginning of the yeah, season? Yeah, okay. But, I, I mean... It, <laughs> how horrific but it should have been was good. the offensive it line should have been good from the start of the year. Yeah, but it wasn't. The left tackle shouldn't get suspended... He can't let that happen. He said it himself. Uh huh. I mean, that just. No, but when discussing improvement, we are going from bad I said to the most improved, some degree of most less improved bad. Titan 
tight. Look right there. The offensive Titan. line. The offensive line Grant. exists Grant. as one. This Thanks, is not, Somebody th- tell me I'm wrong. This, this is Jim. not an Appreciate that. Occurrence. Call me oh, no. Jim. I've listened to the OTP. It's no, I hear these volleys. Oh, yeah. Coach Mack. David Long. Do better. David Long. <laughs> David Long. That's one player, Amy. Hmm. And D- David Long because we needed him. Mm-hmm. We needed him, you know, because you know, because Jayon got Jayon got nicked up, Rashawn got nicked up. You know, we needed him, and and he not only he not only filled space, he made plays. And to watch that, and again, I go clear back to my roots of developing linebackers. I know how hard it is for a, a young player to come into this league, especially when he was a see ball get ball guy at West Virginia. Which I mean, he didn't read anything. All he did was wherever the ball was, that's where he ran to regardless of what else was going on. The nuances that it takes in the National Football League, especially in this defense, as we talked about the intricacies of this defense, the multiplicity of fronts, what the linebackers have to do, I really, really thought that kid, I know he did. I watched him. He improved. And that's a huge plus for him. It's a huge It's a huge plus for Tyrone McKenzie. It's a huge plus for Wesley Woodyard and Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown of bringing him along so that he was a vital part of, my favorite game in Baltimore, that first fourth down stop, that was a that was a really a technically great play by an inside linebacker against a pretty complicated play to diagnose. And where did the Titans get him? Sixth round. Sixth round, that's right. Where did that pick come from? The Ryan Tannehill trade. That's right. How about that, John Robinson? That's pretty good. Yeah. Rhett Bryan, most improved Titan. I have one. What are you going to say, the punt team? No, I okay. have hey. one in all three phases. Okay. Well, wow, we have t- one in all three phases. Great. <laughs> Mike, your rules are trash. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> well, I think these three are important, and all I don't right. think you'll disagree. Okay. John o. Smith on offense. Okay. And you would say, yeah, of course he had more catches, more yards, tied his touchdowns because Delaney Walker's been out, but he's a better blocker. Lined up in the backfield, had a, ga- a touchdown-saving tackle of Whitney Merciless, ran a dude down, ran 100 yards to knock a dude down before he got in the end zone. Much better there. All coming off an ACL surgery. Correct. Mm-hmm. On defense, Daquan Jones. Daquan okay. Jones, when you look at those goal line stands, those fourth down stops, he dropped back in coverage a few times, quietly did a lot of the dirty work in this, and I, I think he had a doggone near career year i think he had a really nice showing and then on special teams dane crookshank dane crookshank uh has has proved himself to make big you call him big play dane for a reason that dude is everywhere on kick coverage blocking stuff whatever those three cats really added to this titans roster in 2019 they added extra stuff all right so the titans have the 29th overall pick in the draft. It's the lowest they've picked since Kenny Britt was selected in 2009, I believe. Hard to believe. Well, it's 13-3 a year mm-hmm. coming off of. So here's my question. Don't have to give me all the scenarios unless you're just dying to. But just for fun, do the Titans, does John Robinson end up making that pick at number 29, Dave McGinnis? He'll be wheeling and dealing. So you're saying no. I'm saying no. Amy Wells. I say no way. He trades down to get him a couple of dudes he likes later on. Or he trades up. You think? I don't think he trades up. I don't think so. I said wheeling and dealing. That's what I say, too. Mm-hmm. I said they, he, could go, he could go a lot of directions. At 29, sometimes you find somebody 
who desperately or you get in that range, like if you're 25, 26, you get somebody who desperately wants to get out, and the price there to get out is not bad if there's a Rashawn Evans there or a Harold Landry there or that type sure. of player. I love the football season with this team because of what Mike Vrabel is and you know what the atmosphere is that Amy Adams struck has, has filtered throughout this building. I love draft season because of John Robinson. Oh, I know. <laughs> I think he is going to be so exciting between now and March 18th. 19 seems to be the number of potential free agents. Now, that doesn't mean that guys won't retire, he won't decide to retain certain guys. Normally, an NFL team turns over anywhere from 12 to 18 players in an offseason. Every year. Roughly a quarter to a third. I think it's going to probably be more towards that third this year because of where he is contractually with so many different players and how he fits the pieces together. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be so fun to watch. Do you have OTPQs? I do have OTPQs. All right. So you, have, can, you can do this. Tell people how they could submit an OTPQ. So if you go to titansonline.com slash OTPQ, you can type in your questions and we will ask them here on the program. So this first one comes from Michael in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. He asks, with the success of the team this year, do you think the NFL will give the Titans more primetime games more than just our annual Thursday nighter against the Jags? The annual Thursday night Jaguars bowl game that <laughs> yep. they have every Right. My answer is yes. Yeah? Absolutely. I don't, I don't think there's any doubt. Yep. May get a couple of Monday nighters out of this deal. There you go. All right, Michael. Sunday night even. Mm-hmm. These sound like late nights for me. Ooh. All right. Brian, First world problem. Wow. <laughs> Brian from Eagle, Colorado. Eagle, Colorado. Hello. Yeah, You're, on you You're on the air. You're on the air. This is exhausting. For Betty White. Go ahead. <laughs> Why do teams fly in the day before the game rather than the team flying to whatever location as soon as possible to get adjusted to the area? I understand the value of sleeping in your own bed, the comfort of your own home, everything like that, but I feel like traveling the day before the game is a massive hit to your energy, your comfort level. I know there's a reason. I just can't figure out what it is. Routine. You need a routine. You need you need your preparation at home as long as you can. You need as little time in the air as you can get. We're fortunate because we're pretty centrally located here, so there's not a lot. I've coached on the West Coast before, which you have to leave two days before because of, of the time change and sometimes two-hour but sometimes three hours, depending on what time of year it is, that's brutal. Okay, so but you want as 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 little as possible to change. That's why Mike Vrabel gets into where we go every time at around four o'clock, four o'clock local time, wherever we are. He gets in there. Routine is so vital. Creatures of habit for a football team, for for a professional football team. It's just it's vital. That's exactly why. And he did something wild this year that had never happened since I've been here. We went to Oakland leaving at normal time. Which was beautiful. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Normally, we've done Fridays in the early in the morning to get there, to be there in the afternoon. We've done after practice on Friday. We've gone Friday night. We've gone first thing Saturday morning. Had never done it this way, and it was his whole thing. He, he told the ops guys. He said, why don't we just go normal time? And they're like, great. <laughs> it makes yeah. their life so much easier. And uh, 
Can, let me just tell you from a from sure. inside-the-walls football aspect, when you have to pick up and, and, and move all your meeting stuff and have a different meeting at a different place, it disrupts everything that you're doing. It really does. That When, when I heard that he was going to do that, I, I loved it. I mean, that's what I tried to do as a head coach. I mean, that's vital. And here's what else that is. When you do that, you trust your players. You're trusting your players to believe in the process. Mm-hmm. You trust your players to believe in the process when you do that. And the other thing you say is it's nothing special to go anywhere to play. We've got a system. We've got a process. And wherever we go, our process will work. That was big this year, too. Great point. Here's the last OTPQ. This is Robert from Scotland. He says, I don't know about you guys, but before a game, I get super nervous. How do you guys and the players manage your nerves before a game? Cutting up in the booth. <laughs> Cracking jokes. It's the only way I know how. It's all uh, That's all I've ever done. Uh, in some games, it's more nerve-wracking than others. In this playoff run, um, I just did more of the same. I didn't – I'd never – I think I've been doing this long enough with Mike that I'm like, you know what, wherever this goes, whatever happens, I'm just going to ride with it. I'm not going to – it's not that I'm not invested. I just I've been disappointed before. Let's just ride. Let's just see where this thing goes. And it went pretty far, and it was fun. It was fun. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you handle it, Coach? I mean, you've done it from all angles now. I've done it from I've done it from all angles, and I've never ever Mike Ditka again. I, I go back to Mike Ditka a lot because that was. We love it when you go back to. Mm-hmm. I love Mike Ditka stories. No, because, because golly, I because want to meet the, Mike Ditka the someday. First, the first, oh, this would be awesome. The first game that I had ever coached for real in the National Football League was against Cleveland and they were coming off being the world champions and you know he could kind of tell a little bit that I was a little bit and he 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 said kid the only reason you've ever got to be nervous is if you're not prepared are you prepared no I said yes sir then he said don't be nervous you can be as excited as you want to be but don't ever be nervous if you're prepared and so the message was just get prepared. I've never, and since then, I was never nervous before a game. I was excited. I anticipated it, but never nervous because you do your work, you put your work in, and then you just let it go. Are you nervous? Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm a mess. Um, both from a football standpoint and just a wanting to have a good show. I mean, for us as broadcasters, we kind of have the game within the game that mm-hmm. we're trying to do. And so. Just wanting everything to go well and make sure that you're prepared for every scenario that could come, which down on the field could be anything. Um, but, oh, yeah, I definitely get nervous. But I'm a superstitious maniac, so somehow being able to cling on to those weird superstitions helped me feel like I'm doing something. I channel my energy, I guess. Nice. Yeah. Do you get nervous, Mike Key? Terrified. Well, Terrified. at least you're honest. Yeah. I'm terrified. I feel exactly the way I did before I played several years ago. What I love to do, you know, and because Amy, I mean, Amy wears her emotions on her face. I mean, just it's just out there, <laughs> and I could tell. And so when I first started doing this three years ago, you know, I could I could see her sitting on the, you know, I could when she come up in the booth, I finally told, I said, Amy, just keep your powder dry. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to happen, and we're going to be fine. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Okay. It'll be fine. No, it's good nervous. It's like excited, anticipating no, nervous. Wrong with but it. like 
But Especially during these playoff games, hooey, my stomach was in. <laughs> but not isn't that the greatest feeling in the world when the stakes the great, start amping up? The amping up. Look, it, that you you can't buy that anywhere in the world. Well, the best thing about this job, period, is right before opening kickoff. Yeah, it really because is because I still feel the exact same way I did when I was covering the opening kickoff, and and, well, and it's the it it it's so unbelievable to at this age to get to have that feeling again go. in the there pit you of your go. stomach that's, because that's when it. you go flying down there the first time and you don't know what's going to happen or where somebody's going to hit you or maybe you're going to be able to light somebody up or you don't know what's going to happen but you know it's going to be kind of crazy i mean that's that's taking the roller coaster through the first turn as you go out of the station you know mm-hmm. And to, that's the feeling that I have. Well, and that's and I love it. I love it. I I love being that scared that way. Well, I mean, just just the excitement that it brings and the and the adrenaline push that it is, and we experienced it to a great level, and we're going to go to greater levels with it. But just going back to how we started this OTP, the excitement of this fan base oh. when they showed up out of town, and then we would all go do those radio shows, and we would all be. I mean, that is what this is all about. Well, what they don't know is we were more excited to see them yep. than they that's were to see and us. And that's what I would tell Absolutely. every one of them. I wanted to hug every one of them. Well, I, I did. <laughs> you <laughs> actually did. Coach yeah, to I confirmed. Yes. Yeah. They, would all, they would all start out with thank you, and I went, no. Thank you. Thank you. Time for yeah. What's Brewing. Brought to you by the great taste plant-based Beyond Sausage Sandwich from Duncan. It's here. With 10 grams of Beyond Sausage plant-based protein in between a toasted English muffin and delicious egg and cheese, Mm-mm. Duncan has created a brand new way to start your day so you can add a plant-based boost to your mornings. America runs on Duncan. New guy gets to go first oh, great. on Good. what's brewing. Rhett Bryan from Titans Radio. What is brewing in your mind? You know, as the guys were cleaning out their lockers this week, the one guy I wanted to say goodbye to, and I knew I wouldn't see him, what I wanted to do was Marcus Mariota. And I put something out on Twitter about it last night. There's about 1,500 likes on it. People are in, in the Titans world, Titans fans, kind of have the same sentiment I do. Um, that's the part of this that's hard for me is the abrupt stop of the season when it's over. I can imagine what it's like for them as players. But Marcus Mariota, probably one of the most popular Titans ever. Uh, what an exciting time it was to see him drafted second overall all those years ago. I think about all the incredible moments he brought to this franchise. Uh, Threw four touchdowns in his first game in a, in a route over Tampa Bay. Uh, the 87-yard run for a touchdown against Jacksonville at Nissan Stadium. The the tip pass that was batted back to himself that he caught in the you know playoffs two years ago in Kansas City. And that guy took quite a beating over that time. And... I think he deserves all of our thanks and gratitude for the kind of player that he was for this organization and for the person that he is, which I believe him to be a Hall of Fame type person. Uh, you won't find a better, most great, more gracious, grounded person. But I just wanted to say thanks, Marcus Mariota, for all you did for, for the Titans and helping get this thing back in the right direction. What a, a fantastic person. Very good, Red. You took Amy's. Uh, (laughs) you didn't take well well done well said and i think we all agree well my first is a duncan themed your first 
I might have two. Maybe one, <laughs> 1.5. You're going to say the whole team's Mike, most is, improved? Uh, okay, will you be cool? I'm wow. going to apologize right, to you in like off. 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so for years, people don't know this about Mike Keith, but he has a very specific coffee order. He gets the blueberry coffee at Dunkin'. And... Um, You're selling my coffee order out in he, front of yeah, people? Yeah, I am doing that. Again, I told you to stop because I'm going right, to apologize to you. Turn the microphone off. I'm less inclined to do it the more you keep coming at me. So Mike Keith gets this coffee order, and for years I have made fun of him for drinking fruity coffee because, A, I thought it sounded gross. Fruity and, coffee. And, B, because I call it fruity coffee. So, <laughs> and, see, like you don't see that that's going to be a problem for me down the line. Again, I'm building to an apology, Mike. Okay. So the other day I'm driving through Duncan and I had a gift card that I got for Christmas. So it felt like a free coffee. And so I ordered Mike's fruity coffee because it smells like pie. And you know what? It is delicious. So Mike Keith, I apologize for making fun of your coffee order for all of these years. Duncan blueberry coffee is delicious. I've got it right here. And for telling the whole world that you you call it fruity fruity coffee. coffee. That's just that is so great of you, Amy. Thank you for that apology. <laughs> I'm not sorry for out. that. I know you're I'm not, not sorry. sorry for that. Very backhanded, I, isn't it? I, I'm am, getting ready to start selling you out. Remember, I go last. <laughs> I am sorry for making fun uh-huh. of you. Yeah, no, your coffee not. order is delicious. Are you done? Yeah, I'm done. Okay, That's Coach nice. Mack, what's brewing with you? The Titans are back on the national stage. That's what's brewing with me. I mean, not just not just here, not just locally. I, I mean, that phone of mine goes to a lot of places, and a lot of people come into that. Look, in the league, just the Titans, and they did it. We were on the national stage because of the draft, but that was the draft. We are on the national screen now because we won big games at big moments. That's what you want as a franchise. That's what you want. What's brewing with me is history, and I want to talk about the Tennessean and its history. The Tennessean is one of the great newspapers in our country. In the age where newspapers were very much the king of everything, the Tennessean was right at the top of the list with everybody nationwide, largely because of one man, John Sigenthaler. John Sigenthaler was in charge of the Tennessean, and John Sigenthaler was brilliant. He was a connector in terms of people. I mean, he knew everybody. He had Coach Max Rolodex and then some, which is hard to believe. He was also fearless, and he brought people to write for the Tennessean, men and women, who he expected to do the same sorts of things. And from his development... He brought about lions. There were lions in this community that wrote for the Tennessean that were not just impactful in Nashville and Middle Tennessee in the state, but in the South. And that's why John Sigenthaler's Tennessean was such a big deal. David Clymer was one of those lions. David Clymer went to work for the Tennessean and ended up writing there for 41 years. He wrote sports, but he could have written anything because his mind and his wit and his ability to adapt would have given him the ability to tell a story in any part of life. And that was truly his secret. He was a great writer. He was a great reporter. 
He could source things like nobody's business. He was a fantastic interviewer. But the thing that made him the five-tool player was his ability to tell stories. And when you read a story that he wrote or a column that he wrote, he gave you something that you didn't get anywhere else. I started reading him in high school, and when I went to the University of Tennessee, David Clymer was on the beat there, and I followed him everywhere. I watched what he did. I got to know him. I got advice from him. I got chided by him. He stood up for me to people who you know, could have kicked me around. He taught me how you be a professional in every way, shape, and form. He was a lion, one of John Sigenthaler's great lions over the history of the Tennessean, an all-time great. The only thing he didn't do well, he may have been the worst self-promoter in the history of media. I sat down in the mid-1990s and wrote him a letter to thank him for everything he did for me and to thank him for taking me under his wing and teaching me how to be a professional. When I saw him for the first time after he received that letter, the first thing he said was, what the hell was that? And then, and then he stopped and he patted me on the back and he said, seriously, I appreciate it. Guy couldn't take a compliment for anything, but he did everything else well. The other thing he did, too, that's really important to the OTP that you don't know, most likely, is that David Clymer was one of the first people who believed the NFL could work in this part of the country. Probably will not surprise some of you to learn there were a lot of people who did not believe that. There were people at the Tennessean who did not believe that. They did not believe that public funds should go towards building a stadium. They didn't see what the value would be. They thought it was a waste of time, and they wrote it. I called him. When word leaked out that Bud Adams was going to move the team here, and I said, can this happen? What I was asking him was, can the Nashville brass pull this together? Can the leadership pull this together? He believed in Phil Bredesen, and he said, I think it's going to happen. And he said so. David Clymer thought Nashville was more than the Nashville of 1985 and 1995. He thought it could be more. I have no idea if he thought it would be what it is today, but he believed that it could happen, and he said so. And he also did something else. When I was up for this job, which I did not deserve, he put a word in for me. And I know for a fact that that word mattered. We lost David Clymer on Sunday to cancer. He had just been diagnosed weeks ago. It, it, it should not have gone down this way. And for the people at the Tennessean who love him, for his family, and most specifically for his wife, Rebecca, uh, we are so sorry. Uh, but we were all better for having had him here. Mr. Sigenthaler uh, certainly is proud of him, and I have a feeling they have already had a discussion, and Mr. Bibb is there, and all of those great lions from the Tennessean are with him and they are sharing a laugh and telling a story and watching all of this but it's only sort of fitting in an ironic way that the Tennessee Titans were playing for the AFC championship for a trip to the Super Bowl on the day we lost a guy who believed that this would work here and he was influential at that point 
and it was a big deal, and he was a big deal to a lot of people. We are so sorry David Kleinberg has been lost at age 66. It is way too early. He was a lion, and even if you have no idea who I'm talking about, trust me, David Clymer was one of the greats. For Rhett Bryan, Amy Wells, Dave McGinnis, Mike Keith says thanks for listening to the OTP.